Uh, let me pray as we come to God's word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that your word is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training us in righteousness. Please use it now for that purpose in our lives as we seek to be involved in your work of building up the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what are you distracted by? That was the question. Uh, for me, uh, disorder and confusion can be very distracting, and we had a little bit of that in the children's talk today. And uh, when I think of the word disorder and confusion, actually, the image that comes to mind is a classroom full of year nine boys. <laughs> a classroom full of year nine boys when the teacher's not present. Uh, certainly the case, that was my experience. And uh, uh, growing up, we don't really aspire to a life of confusion and disorder. It's not something we look forward to. I can't wait to have a lifetime of confusion and disorder and chaos. Generally, we like to have some form of order and structure in our life. Some things we like to be predictable. And one of the reasons we gather together at church is because Jesus brings clarity into the confusion that surrounds us in this world. But what would happen if we came to church this morning and all we encountered was disorder and confusion, like a year nine classroom without a teacher present? It would be one big distraction. When we gather together at church, what is it that brings clarity, not confusion, as we meet together? Well, let's explore that as we go through this passage together. Now, there was quite a lot of confusion, actually, going and disorder going on in the Corinthian church. And right from the opening chapter, there was division about who they would follow as leader, Paul, Apollos, Peter. Then there was confusion about sexuality and marriage and lawsuits, even diet and exercise. Exercise, you say? Diet and exercising their freedom. Exercising their freedom. Not diet and exercise, but certainly diet in terms of what, whether they should eat food sacrificed to idols. And uh, talking about the Lord's Supper talking about what to wear at church in chapter 10 and 11, veils or no veils. And then from chapter 12 to 14, Paul has been reminding the people of God's great building project. And that's what we've been looking at over the last month or so. God is building his church, the body of Christ, through his distinctively diverse people. Distinctive in the sense that it is made up of people who know that Jesus is Lord that Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day and that he appeared to many people. It is also diverse in the sense that the body of Christ is made up of many parts. Jesus is the head of the body and the body uh, and all the people have different gifts so they can build up one another in love to play their part in God's great building project. That's what we've been looking at over the last month or so. For the Corinthians, their gathering was probably a lot less structured than the one that we have, perhaps like a larger version of a growth group where people had different opportunities to address everybody. Now, in the first half of chapter 14, Paul lays down a principle uh, that we gather together to build up the body of Christ, and we looked at that a few weeks ago. And this comes about by bringing clarity to the word of God. And he used the example of uh, speaking in t uh, words of use it, uh, the example of speaking in tongues. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sam. Yeah. And speaking words of prophecy to make his point. Uh, tongues is understood to um, be uh, the speaking uh, words of uh, sorry. Sorry, just a bit distracted there. Uh, tongues is understood to be the spirit-inspired speaking of the word of God uh, uh, to, to God. 
spoken in the language that the speaker or the listener doesn't understand. And unless there's a translation, there is confusion rather than clarity about the word of God. And then Hank went on to explain that prophecy, on the other hand, is um, uh, a responsive speaking in which the word of truth, the good news of Jesus Christ, is intelligibly uttered. So spoken, things spoken about the word of God in a way that we can understand. So this brings clarity rather than confusion to the word of God. So of the two gifts that Paul uh, talks about, he makes it clear which one we should be striving for in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 12. He says this, uh, chapter 14, He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So Paul pushes for clarity over confusion because it builds up the church. And in the second half of chapter 14 that we're looking at today, Paul lays down another principle about creating the right conditions in their gathering for building one another up. And it's about maintaining an order in their gathering so the word of God can be clearly heard and understood. Now verse 26 picks this up with Paul's linking sentence. So have a look at verse 26 there as he comes through. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Now, these are all things related to speaking, you'll notice, and the word revelation here also appears in verse 30, so uh, that way it suggests that it's interchangeable with the word prophecy. Now, but despite all the issues of the Corinthians that we've been exploring as we've worked our way through the letter, here they are coming to their gatherings prepared. They're actually prepared when they come. They're wanting to use their gifts. They came prepared. Now, a few weeks ago, Hank asked us some challenging questions. He asked this question, do you come to church to love or be loved? Do you come to church to give yourself in service or be served? Challenging questions. And it's a good question to ask. Like the, one, the Corinthians here, are we prepared when we come to church? Wouldn't it be sad if the only preparing we did was to dress up in our Sunday best? But yet when we arrive, our attitude and actions tear other people down rather than build other people up. Now certainly the people on the roster need to be prepared when they get here. They buy morning tea, they, they uh, write their prayers and um, practice the readings and things like that. But we don't need to be on a roster to be prepared to serve. Uh, we can prepare to serve by praying before we get here that God will give us an opportunity to build someone, us, someone up today. We can prepare by thinking about a question to ask somebody that is not admin related. It's very easy to talk about admin things, but maybe it's a more sort of uh, intentional question with the intention of building somebody up. And I was encouraged when I heard that one couple made the decision to try to come to church 15 minutes early so they could chat to people before the service and so they didn't um, cause disruption by coming a little bit later. That, that takes preparation to do that, especially when you have tiny kids, little kids as they do. The question is, how are you preparing to come to church? But having observed the Corinthians come prepared, Paul sensed that some of them were more interested in showing off their gifts rather than using them to build one another up in love. And he drops in the reminder at the end of verse 26 when he says this, this little reminder that he says. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. He's just reminding them 
oh, they might not quite be coming with the right motives and things, but things need to be done for the strengthening of the church. Paul wanted the people in the church to have opportunities to use their gifts to build one another up, but at the same time, he didn't want them to use their gifts to break out into a kind of competitive disorder, a little bit like their children's talk this morning. Disorder and confusion doesn't bring clarity to the word of God, but only distraction. So Paul brings his second principle in here, and that is to maintain order in the church to bring clarity to the word of God. And he goes on to unpack uh, this with three examples to make his point in this passage today. And ironically, in these three, example that Paul, three examples that Paul uses, it's not about what people actually do say, but it's what they don't say that ends up building up the church. And that's the irony of these passage, this passage today. And as we were reminded in the reading in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to speak and there is a time to be quiet. So Paul now talks about uh, the time to be quiet and what that means to build up the church. The first example is there in verse 27 and verse 28. He says this, If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Now, even though Paul preferred prophecy to speaking in tongues, tongue speaking was not prohibited in the church. Now, let's just unpack that with three questions as we go through these three examples, three questions. Who, when and why? These are three questions. Who is to keep quiet? People who speak in tongues. Remember, it is unintelligible speech. Now, when are they, are they to keep quiet? When there is no one to interpret the unintelligible speech. If there's someone to interpret they can speak in that. But if there's no one, they are to keep quiet. That's when. Why are they to keep quiet when there is no one to interpret? As Paul had previously said, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will that be? What good will I be to you, he says. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Tongue speaking without interpretation brings confusion, not clarity, to the word of God. It's distracting. For the sake of bringing clarity to the word of God, there is a time to speak and a time to be quiet. And that is an example of when it's a time to be quiet. Then Paul moves on to the next example of prophecy in 29 to 32. If you can see, what, see if you can see what is the same and what is different with the first example. First of all, 29, he says this. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh, up, weigh carefully what is said. The same principle applies with two or the most three here. So if you're number four in line, be quiet. Maybe he didn't want the meeting to drag on. That's why he's limited to two or three. You can imagine everybody in the church getting up and having something to say. It would still be here till lunchtime or even dinner. But Paul goes on to say in verse 30 here, and if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down... The first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of order, of, of, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now presumably he calls on the first person to stop because they've already said enough. 
and that's why the next person can come up. Maybe it was a little bit of a pragmatic way to prevent individual people from being a little bit too long-winded, perhaps, you know, to prevent them from hogging the equivalent of the first century microphone, uh, perhaps. And so he goes through. So let's unpack these questions. Who, when, why? So who is to keep quiet? The person who is speaking when a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down. First person, okay, time to stop speaking. When are they to keep quiet? When a revelation comes to somebody who is sitting down. Why are they to keep quiet? So they can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Now Paul understands that we communicate something about the God we serve by the way we do things when we meet together. Disorder and confusions, confusion ruins relationships and dishonours God. And as verse 40 says, all things should be done decently and in order. And this is because God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Now Paul moves on to his final example in verse 34 and 35, our most controversial one. So let's read this to, uh, let me read this out loud, as in, in all the congregations of the sun. He says, Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Controversial words indeed. Now for some uh, people listening today, these words, uh, verses evoke an extremely negative reaction. A reaction that I uh, cannot understand uh, as a man. And maybe you have been deeply hurt um, by the misuse of these words in this passage in a way that I could never comprehend. I acknowledge that today. And so I want to walk through these words sensitively, acknowledging uh, people have done uh, great disservice in misusing the words of God. For me, it's very tempting to take the easy way out and ignore these verses because they don't fit in neatly with the plausibility structures in our society. But as Malcolm and Christian reminded me the other day when we were doing a series of studies, study four in the seven basic Bible study series, just for starters, one of the questions in that study was how much of scripture is God breathed? And Christian answered uh, when we're doing, he said, all of it, including the hard parts. And it was right at the time when I was preparing this sermon. And as he said that, I thought to myself, yes, even this passage is certainly one of the hard parts but it is all God-breathed. So if we believe that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, it includes this part here. So as confronting as it is, we don't want to avoid the counter-cultural message of this passage today, but walk sensitively through it. For we worship God on his terms, not on ours. But the God we worship on his terms is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. We also approach these verses with the understanding that the same man, Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians 13 about love being patient and kind, it doesn't envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, the same man who wrote those words also wrote these words in chapter 14. Although on paper the words here seem harsh, it is important to acknowledge that they come from a man who is motivated to love uh, his brothers and sisters in Christ and he is deeply committed to building his people. So let's not lose sight of that. 
So let me begin by highlighting what this passage is not saying and then I'll try to unpack what it is um, pointing towards. Firstly, Paul is not saying that women can't say anything at all in the church gathering. We know from chapter 11 that Paul made it clear that women are allowed to speak in church when they are prophesying, which covers all sorts of speaking. And already today, there's been four women who have come to the front and spoken. Bron, Chrissy, Pam and Jenny. So clearly as a congregation, the passage is not saying that a woman cannot speak in church. The second thing, it is not saying that in the church women are somehow inferior. Paul says in chapter 12, verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. He doesn't say you men are the body of Christ. He's including men and women. And so when I put everybody's name here on the, on the whiteboard in the, the image of the body that we're trying to illustrate over the last few weeks to symbolise the body of Christ, we can clearly see that men and women alike are included. There's not one for men and another one for women. There is no distinction for we all share the same experience of salvation, the common experience of God's grace. That's what we share. We also know from the creation account that men and women alike are made in equally in the image of God. That is the conviction we stand on as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Thirdly, we also have to look no further than the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There are not two sacrifices. There's only one for men and for women alike. The precious blood of Christ was shed for us all, men and women. If anything, the message of Christianity shows that we are equal in dignity and in purpose. If you are a woman here today and anyone has made you think that you are inferior because you are a woman, then don't believe the lie. It's not true. Well, what then can we gain from these verses as we unpack them? The first thing is that we have seen already that this is not the first time that Paul tells people not to speak. Firstly, it was the people speaking in tongues without an interpreter. Then it was the ones who were prophesying. Paul is not singling out women at this point. He's just illustrating some examples. So let's unpack with the three question: who, when and why. Who is to remain silent? In this particular situation, it's the women. When are they to keep quiet? It seems most like the most likely scenario is when the prophecies of verse 29 are being weighed up. Now, let me explain what I mean here. Now, verse 29 can be seen as a bit of an introduction sentence to this uh, section. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And the process for this is explained in verse 30 to 32. Then the second half of the sentence, and the others should weigh carefully, is then explained in verse 34 to 38. First about the involvement of women in this process and then about the authenticity of the prophets themselves. So it seems that Paul is saying that the women are not to speak during the weighing up process of the prophecy. 
So this is not a statement about whether the women have any, anything valid to say at all. It's not saying that. They may well do. But for the sake of the order of the process, he's asking them not to speak at that particular time. Now, I remember when Liz and I were travelling around to different churches where, to share what God had been doing through us uh, when we were serving overseas, a bit similar to what Sam and Shan Shan are doing at the moment, and there was one large women's group in Wollongong in one of our linked churches that uh, we were at, and uh, Liz was at the front explaining uh, and answering questions, and I was sitting down. And I remember uh, as Liz was speaking, I was constantly interjecting to clarify minute details and I even stood up a few times to retell what Liz had already said. And um, my constant interjections, although not questions, was creating a distraction for the people to hear clearly what Liz was trying to say. And it was created disorder and confusion rather than bringing clarity, as Liz was trying to explain. Now, I should have kept silent and been in submission to what we'd already agreed upon, uh, that she was speaking to this group of women and explaining I didn't need to say anything. I couldn't help myself. I just wanted to, you know. And often what I said was not adding anything anyway. And Liz made it clear to me afterwards. <laughs> now, it's not exactly the same, but maybe there was sort of something like this in what Paul is highlighting. There is an arranged order and structure that they've designed to bring clarity. And in their case, the men were to weigh out the prophecy. The women were not to. Uh, maybe sort of something a little bit like that's going on here, that, which leads us to asking why are the women to keep quiet when the prophecy is being weighed? Now, these reasons, you can pick up six reasons, but I'm not going to pick up on all six, but I'll mention three ones briefly, and you'll notice in the um, bulletin at the bottom, if you'd like to have some further discussion about this topic, uh, I'm happy to sit at one of the tables and uh, try to answer questions, because I'm not able to answer every question in this uh, message this morning. We can have some table talk afterwards. Now let me draw out three things. Firstly, as verse 33 says, says God is not a God of disorder. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. When, so when God created the world, He brought order out of chaos, as we know from Genesis 1. God is committed to that order in relationship because He didn't create us. He didn't create us for disorder and confusion. And our congregation gather, congregational gatherings must reflect that. That God is not a God of disorder. So there is, a, there is a, a reason and a purpose behind the order and the way we do things. Secondly, Paul says in verse 37 that it is, uh, it is not his personal opinion, but rather what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. It's just not Paul saying things on a whim. The Apostle Paul hasn't got an agenda against women. He's reflecting on what God's orderly design for creation they are not cultural reasons relevant for the day, but theological convictions that stand for all time. And that theological conviction is the third reason, as Paul appeals to the law in verse 34, as the law says. Now, the law here is a shorthand way of referring to the creation account. Now, something here is already unpacked in chapter 11. And uh, there Paul reminded us that God designed an ordered pattern of relationships. Men and women are distinct, yet dependent on each other. God's ordained order within the congregation is related to men demonstrating servant leadership and women responding to that servant leadership in partnership. 
Now, this passage in chapter 14 is just Paul showing the expression of that through the process of weighing up prophecy in the gathering. Uh, now, it also mentions asking uh, husbands at home and culturally the, most people would have lived in households where there was a clearly designated man as head of the household and questions could be directed to him. Whether people were single or married, there was clearly a designated person. In our context, the gathering of God's people is our household in one sense. And so questions can be asked that don't disrupt the, and questions can be asked here that don't disrupt the order of the service. But I'm happy to talk about that afterwards as well. Now there are a lot of what about questions that people have, and I'm sure you've been having um, those kinds of discussions in your growth group. Well, what about single people? What about my husband's not a, a Christian? And things like that. Now I haven't answered all of those here. But uh, let's talk about those over, over morning tea if we can. But I just want to draw out the principle. So throughout these three examples, Paul is asking people to show a commitment to maintaining order for the sake of building people up. Verse 26 says this, Let all things be done for building up. Verse 31, So that all may learn and be encouraged. Verse 33, For God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Verse 40, All things should be done decently and in order. Paul is trying to uh, highlight that he's committed to maintaining some kind of order for the sake of building others up. And this passage is ultimately not about restricting people. That's not Paul's purpose. It's about freeing people up to love others in the body of Christ to build them up within the structure that God's laid down. Now, in the way that we organise our gatherings, we don't tend to have the same issues as the Corinthians did as we have an order of service we follow, we put it on the bulletin. We don't have people jumping up and down trying to get to the microphone and things like that. We're within our Anglican tra tradition and history here in Sydney. We don't have issues that the Corinthians uh, did in terms of the order of the service. But there are other things. There are other opportunities that we can reflect on in the way that is appropriate um, uh, on being uh, knowing when to speak and when not to speak. So let me draw out three things just to finish. Firstly, we need to ask the right questions to God first and foremost. Lord, how would you have me serve? What opportunities are there in this particular body of Christ that I can step into to build up the body? Now, just because we have the ability to do something doesn't mean we need to insist on our right to do it person had the ability to speak in tongues didn't necessarily mean they had to do it they had the ability to prophesy and didn't mean they had to do it and the women would, would have surely had some very uh, insightful things to say but it didn't mean they had to say it you might be more than capable of leading the service you might be more than capable of leading in prayer or organizing morning tea but we might have enough people serving in those ways already and there's no need for you to step in. There might be other ways to serve. We need to keep asking God the question, Lord, how would you have me serve? Come and speak to me. Come and speak to some of the other people in your growth groups and things. Explore ways in which God is calling you to serve. We can ask God the question. Secondly, now, be careful of the danger of storytelling. 
Now, there are some people who are not only great storytellers, but they are great, they have great stories to tell. Great stories, and I love listening to them, and I, I, I myself love telling a good story. And uh, sometimes, as a storyteller, all I'm doing when I'm listening to someone else is listening for a point of connection so I can drop my next story in. And I'm not actually listening to their story out of interest to ask them another question about it. And this ends up distracting me from asking the other person more questions about their story and becoming interested in them. Maybe if you're like me and you love telling stories, you could say to yourself, okay, next time I'm in growth group, two, at the most three stories I'm going to tell. No more than that. <laughs> now, it's not the exact uh, application there, but I know some people, before the growth groups even started, they've already told about half a dozen stories. And, uh, but we need to try to be a bit of a question asker rather than a storyteller. And so maybe ask a few more questions this week in growth group and see where you go. There is a time to speak and a time to be silent. We're building others up. Thirdly, be mindful of when sharing in growth group. Sometimes we can hold the sharing time and not give others the opportunity. Regularly doing that is not loving. It doesn't always build others up because it doesn't give other people the opportunity to speak. There is a time to speak and a time to be silent for building others up. Well, it's my prayer is when we gather together each week that our time together will not reflect a high school classroom when a, with an absent teacher, but rather reflects the God we serve. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Let's be committed to bringing clarity, not confusion, to the word of God and reflect on what uh, God has said to us today. Uh, let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not a God of disorder. We thank you that you are a God of peace. We thank you that you sent Jesus to save us from the disorder, chaos and confusion of this world and have given us a purpose within your plans for this world. Help us worship you on your terms and not according to our own culturally driven demands. May our gatherings be places that reflect your character as we seek to build others up in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.